Hello, and welcome back to the Bicycle Mechanics Podcast. Today, we're going to do podcast number 17. So today, we're going to cover a few topics. I'm going to do a little bit of uh, reading out of the Campagnola book, just because I enjoy it. It's got some great stories, and I'm going to do a little part on uh, bicycle accessories. So here we go. So in the in the Campagnola book, I came across a, uh, a little... Uh, piece here about uh, Masi and Campagnolo and it's called uh, the Taylor and the Volcano. So Fiero Masi was one of the made in Italy generation. Born in Milan in 1908 he died in the year 2000. During the 1930s he was a racer of modest caliber. When he stopped racing he became a mechanic for Gloria the venerable Milanese bicycle company and in 1940 he opened his own shop which in 1952 was located under the curve of the Vigorelli Velodrome. For years, he was, he was the trusted mechanic to Antonio Mape, one of the greatest track cyclists of all time. Masi made frames with such majesty that he was nicknamed the Taylor. And in fact, his products were, were worn by Copi, Magnini, Alfredo, Martini, and Luisan Bobet. Jacques Anquetil won the hour record in 1959 using a Mossy bicycle. Between 1969 and 1972, Merckx used his bicycles, as did Rick Van Loy, Giamondi, and Dorini. In 1972, Mossy California came into being in the United States, entrusted to Mario Confetti. One of the leading models was the Masi Grand Criterium, which gained even greater fame when it was used by the actor Dennis Christopher in the 1979 film Breaking Away. Today, Alberto Masi carries on his father's great tradition of quality. He provided a portrait of Tullio Campagnolo. They were close friends, my father and Tullio, from back when almost no one wanted the dual rod shifter because the simplex was easier. My dad supported it, gave him publicity, and always stayed faithful to him, Alberto recalled. Then later, Tulio was good to me. I remember him as a volcano. He sketched his ideas on a piece of paper, then phoned them into his engineers in Vincenza, saying, do this, do that. I saw how he did, did it with my own eyes. Nearly every week he came to Milan, over the palace he had over at the palace he had a room reserved all year he arrived in the mercedes with the driver he never wanted to eat alone so he'd call us over to keep him company then talking with my father he'd take out a piece of paper and pen and start drawing he had an idea every minute and when he thought it, thought it was something important he'd do whatever it took in the World Championships in 1968 at Imola, for example, Eddie Merckx had a Masi and was using universal brakes. Two days before the race, Campagnola went to my father and said, I made two new brakes. You've got to put them on Merckx. How can I do that? My father started to answer. Put them on him. They are without name. So I asked Eddie if he wanted to try them. Fine. He said he tried them and was enthusiastic about them, but they were still rough. 
without rubber hoods on the levers and, and using them cut his hands. So on the day before the race, I covered them in cork and Merckx raced the world championships at Imola with those new Campagnola brakes and everyone thought they were universal. But you know how car race, how racers are jealous of each other. So Andorini, who was with the Mortini like Eddie, found out and wanted to use them. He put them on and won the world championships. An example of his genius, continued Alberto Massi, is that he made inventors outside the realm of cycling. The corkscrews, for example. One day my father and other friends went to the Campagnola Villa, Villa after going out hunting. Tulio tried to pull the cork from a bottle, but the neck of the bottle broke, cutting his hand. Angrily, he immediately called the engineer and told him to design a corkscrew like this and like that. A week later, the corkscrew was ready. It was my father who told Campagnola where to sell it, in Milan, in a place that still today has the exclusive rights. I have 10,000 of them at home. And then the nut, nut opener, not the nut cracker, a nut opener, Campagnola was found, was fond of dried fruit, walnuts, peanuts, almonds. And one day eating nuts and drinking champagne, he got the idea of opening a nut without breaking it. And then he invented the camp, Campostira, a device to keep a crease in pants, something highly useful to someone like him who was always traveling. Tulia was someone who never wasted time and had a very quick mind. There was, there was a time Copi brought some new crank arms from France, but they slowed down as he wanted to hear what we thought. We spoke to Campagnola about them, and one week later, Tulio showed up with a pair of crank arms that did not slow down. And by slowing down, I think they mean when you're spinning it, um, when you're spinning the crank arm. Even the Masi Voltermecha 3V is an idea of Campagnola's. In 1982, my father and Tulio were at the Milan trade fair, and while they were eating their casserole, they started, they started talking about the Oviad tubes then so much in vogue. Campagnola said, but why, why make bigger tubes? Why not make bigger tubes? And thus was born the Voltermecchia, a true revolution in frames because for the first time oversized tubes were used. He was generous, even gave away ideas. When he made car wheels, I remember he gave me four of my own for my Fulvia Coupe. So there it is, a little story about Masi and Campagnolo. Kind of interesting, just a couple pages there, some uh, interesting um, uh, observations there by uh, Masi's son about uh, how Tulio was and sketching things on a napkin and calling his uh, engineers to make, make things work. Pretty, uh, pretty cool, pretty cool. He was definitely um, a very gifted uh, human being when it comes to uh, bicycles. We're lucky to have had someone like that in our midst. So in keeping in vain with the Campagnola theme for the moment, I'm going to read a little bit from the book about uh, the 10 speed. And I remember when 10 speed came out, it was kind of a big deal. Um, as I recall, before I read this, um, as I recall, when, uh, when I first started uh, road cycling, uh, seven speed was kind of the thing down tube shifters. We moved on to eight speed uh, shifters 
also down tube. And then we kind of went to uh, the Shimano Total Integration and uh, uh, Campagnola Ergo shifters, which were uh, shifters that were integrated with our brake levers. Um, and uh, Shimano, as from what I remember, went from eight to nine speed. And at the time, uh, Campagnola kind of went from eight to nine speed, but also introduced 10 speed, I think uh, a little bit ahead of Shimano, which was kind of uh, interesting at the time. It was um, kind of a bold move. So, so here it is a little bit about the 10 speed. Um, 2000 was a year of change. Campagnola took everyone off guard at the Salon de Ciclo in Milan, saluting the arrival of the new millennium with the presentation of a completely revolutionary group set. After the de debut of Carbon, the Vincenza company landed a knockout punch on its competition by presenting the first 10-speed group sets. Working on increasingly reduced thickness and tolerances, Campagnola had managed to insert another gear in the cassette, drawing the attention of, of technicians and fans. The reduction in thickness made it possible to use wheels designed for 9-speed systems without problems. But it did require, naturally, the application of a new chain called the C10. Also presented was a cassette with a maximum cog of 29, a wink at lovers of great mountain slopes that also meant a, val a valid alternative to use of a triple chain wheel. And I'll pause right there for a second because I remember when this happened, everybody, Shimano and other manufacturers were, were putting triples on road bikes. And it was kind of sad as a mechanic to see a triple on a really nice road bike. Um, being a purist, um, seeing that kind of made me sad. But then Campagnola, you know, came out with the 29, uh, 29 low gear in the back in the, on the cog set, which um, kind of uh, reduced the need for a triple, which was pretty amazing. Um, so, um, and the weight, uh, even here, Campagnola managed to amaze the increase in weight of the length sprocket was compensated for by a complete redesign of the group set. All told, the 10-speed group, 10V, weighed less than its 9-speed predecessor. Pretty incredible. Uh, credit for this goes to the use of new materials. This was the first time that a bicycle derailleur was presented with a front cage made, made of carbon fiber braided at 90 degrees. With the use of parts in titanium, the front Changer alone made for a, a savings of 39 grams over the preceding version. The rear derailleur was also available in a version with a medium cage uh, necessary to support the sprocket maximum of 29 teeth. 10 speeds were also applied to the second group set in the Campagnola line. Those who wanted 10V power train could also choose the chorus group set, although in that case, the gear changer remained in aluminum. Even so, the chorus component was lighter than the 9V version by 34 grams. So there you have it. Pretty amazing stuff. Um, I remember I had uh, this 10-speed group set on a bike, and it worked pretty darn well. I did not have a 29 uh, in the back. Um, I think I had a 25, but uh, still climbed hills pretty well, even back in the day with the uh, with the 5339s that we used to all run uh, in uh, kind of different from what we run today. Most of us uh, probably run a 5034 in the front. So um, kind of interesting, 10-speed, uh, there you have it. Shimano uh, 
Uh, Campagnola kind of got one over on Shimano there, but um, as we move forward to today, we look at uh, 11 speed group sets, uh, 12 speed group sets, which uh, Campagnola and Shimano have, but we also have a move to 13 by some other uh, manufacturers, not major ones. Um, but we also have uh, Campagnola's answer to Shimano's uh, gravel set. Shimano's gravel set is a GRX uh, 11 speed. Campagnola made the jump and made Campagnola Eckhar with a 1x13 uh, set. The price of that uh, group set, I think, is probably pretty darn high, but uh, it looks pretty cool. Um, if I could afford it, I would own it, but instead, um, I own a house. So <laughs> there you have it. So at this point, I'd like to move on to my next story. It'll be my last little story here uh, of podcast number 17. And I kind of, I entitled this one, um, originally I entitled it The Missing Accessory. Um, and it's kind of more about accessories too, um, but I uh, get into a little bit about uh, missing accessories uh, after a repair, which can be kind of interesting. So um, accessories, uh, a word that can strike fear and loathing into the heart of, of even the most experienced bicycle mechanic. Um, definition of accessory, a thing which can be added to something else in order to make it more useful, versatile, or attractive. Um, accessories, uh, when you work in a shop, you sell, somebody sells a bike, you're the mechanic in the back, they bring you the bike. Do a pre-sale check on this bike, make sure it's all good to go, you do it, and then they start bringing in the accessories. Um, accessories for a bicycle exist in many categories. Um, this may not be a complete list, but these are most of the ones that I can remember. Let's see, we have racks, uh, fork mounted, rear mounted, and handlebar mounted racks. We have bags, seat bags, top tube bags, handlebar bags, under the top tube bags, water bottle cages, pumps, frame mounted, cyclometers or GPS with cadence, and rear speed sensor, mirrors, bar end, and others. Fenders, oh yes, fenders of all kinds, or mud guards if you like. Uh, temporary, hard mount, making them work is a MacGyver thing for sure in most cases. Uh, kickstands, good times. All kids' bicycles should come with kickstands. I mean, come on. This one, that one kind of slays me on a daily basis. Uh, tire liners, locks, lights, front and rear. So most accessory installs require a mechanic who can think outside the box. Um, some are simple, just some. Uh, one of the funniest things to observe as a bicycle mechanic is how customers install their own accessories. Uh, fenders that rattle and rub, sometimes so much rubbing that they wear through a tire tread. Um, this is done when a nut or a bolt uh, to the mount of the fenders on the inside uh, or mud guard sticks out a little bit too much and rubs on the tire. Um, a, uh, a rear rack that maybe is installed with a screw sticking through where it hinders the chain from going into the high gear on the cassette or freewheel on the back, that's pretty common. Um, and then there's the rattle. That's the really special one. Oh, so noticeable by a bicycle mechanic, but it's almost comical. Um, the rattling sounds of loose things on a bike. Uh, bags, especially seat bags, mounted in every imaginable way except the correct way. Uh, sometimes hanging on a bike like an old man's skin. Um, I'll let you leave that visual out there for you. 
uh, cyclometers mounted with electrical tape, uh, zip ties uh, not cut after installation. Ooh, that one hurts. Um, as a mechanic, the non-cut zip tie um, is another uh, day slayer there. Um, kickstands, like I said before, all kickstands should come, all kids' bikes should come with kickstands. I mean, come on, it just, it saves the bike from being backed over in the driveway, keeps it from being thrown or falling to the ground most of the time. Um, just put it on and charge eight to $10 more for the bicycle. Uh, tire liners, uh, take a bit to install, but well worth it, especially for slow moving glass, uh, stuck into a tire that will kind of migrate its way to through the tire and kind of not put a hole in the tube right away, but rub on it enough for a super slow leak. And if that piece of glass isn't found in that tire, when that tube is changed, it will do the same thing to the next tube. Um, just so we're, so we're clear here, duct tape and electrical tape are not acceptable fasteners for the long term. Uh, they leave behind a residue, something like, uh, something like something from a zombie movie, um, hard to remove and sticky. They look bad and show a lack of professionalism or disregard uh, for reading directions. Um, that is not a good, good trait for life um, in any way, especially if you also shop at Ikea. So I'm going to move on to this, uh, to the, the missing accessory. So here's a little story for you. A customer brings in a bicycle. We work on it. Then they pick it up. Hey, where's my blank? And let's fill in the blank. Where's my light? Where's my cell phone holder? Where's my mud guard? Where's my pads for my aero bars? Where's my water bottle? And my favorite of all time actually happened to me. Where's my kickstand? No, we did not remove your kickstand. Actually, I had a guy ask us this question. He was sure we had removed it and didn't reinstall it. Uh, what? Wait, what? We never found it? Of course, because we didn't have it. So this guy, I remember him. This happened before COVID. Um, he wanted to know where his kickstand was after we worked on his bike. And we all looked at each other and we were like, um, we didn't touch your kickstand. Uh, of course, we don't remember if it's on there or not. Um, and then uh, he would come in for service uh, after that and he'd always ask about his kickstand. And we would just say, we don't have your kickstand. I think we tried to order him one, but we couldn't get him the one that he wanted. Um, and then COVID came. And <laughs> I took about a year and a half off of working because of COVID because there was no vaccine. I didn't want to work. But anyway, I went back to work after vaccines were available for my family, my kids and myself and felt good about going back, went back to work. First week I'm back at work, I went out to the shop.